many of y'all have actually seen Resurrection of Gavin Stone? Anybody? It was, it's one of those faith-based movies. It was actually really, actually, I thought it was a really good storyline. It, it has a mixture of professional actors and amateur actors, so you just kind of have to know that going in. Um, but it, it does have a good storyline. I, I like that part in there where uh, she says, you know, sometimes we just need to be reminded, you know, what our church is all about and what this decision, you know, to forgive, you know, how it's going to impact somebody and what grace is all about and blah, 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 which is probably why you're here this morning to hear another message of blah, 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 blah. But the best line is, it, is one at the end when he's looking at her, he's like, just like that, you're just going to forgive me? And she says, yeah, it's, this is what we do. This is what we do. Uh, grace is what we do. We're, we're all here because of grace. We've all been forgiven and forgiven people forgive people. It's what we do. It's, it's one of the hallmarks of what it means to be a Christian. And so last week we looked at how uh, our faith isn't just about understanding that we need to be reconciled with God. It's also about understanding our need to be reconciled with others. And so as Christians, our, our calling is not to just help people be reconciled with God, but also, as Paul gave us the example in the book of Philemon, to help other people reconcile with one another. And so the entire book of Philemon is an entire book I almost exaggerate a little bit. It's only 25 verses, but it is an entire book of the Bible, which is all just dedicated to reconciliation, about trying to build a bridge between two people. And as I mentioned last week, that forgiveness is pretty much all a perspective issue. Uh, when somebody has hurt you, what they've done seems this big, and you just can't get over this big thing. But Jesus comes back and he says, yes, but how big is all of the things that you've done you know, in totality to God that he's forgiven you of? And when you compare everything God's forgiven you of with what they've forgiven you of, it, it puts things in the right perspective. And so he says over and over and over again in scriptures, forgive one another just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And Paul writes that message to the Colossian church. He writes that message to the Ephesians church. And along with those letters that he sent to Colossae and Ephesus, he also sends the same letter, Philemon, and that very same bundle of, of mail out there, and it's this message of reconciliation. And so we talked last week about what are some of the perspectives we need to have if we're going to build bridges. And number one, we need to operate out of love, not law. This is not something you can force somebody to, uh, and the very nature of forgiveness is not a legalistic thing. Uh, the people who were sitting there looking at this woman caught in adultery and said, hey, can we stone her? Legally, sure. But if you're going to operate out of love and of grace and how you would want to be treated, you drop the stone. Because which one of us has not sinned? And so he says he was without sin, cast the first stone. So operate out of love, not law. Last week we also looked at how Paul says, listen, I'm an old man and I'm in prison. In other words, life is short and really is this too much to ask? Considering everything everybody else is having to deal with, is it really too much to ask to ask you to forgive somebody? I mean, think of all the other ways other people are suffering throughout the world, and this is what God's laid on you, to forgive somebody of how they've hurt you. In light of everything God's forgiven you of, in light of how other people are suffering, how can you not forgive? And so then he continues on in the letter. Um, I'm going to be reading through the letter. I won't be exactly going in order this morning, because sometimes the order of a letter doesn't make for a good order of a message for a sermon. So I, all the content will be there. We'll hit them all. I'm just going to rearrange some of the the ordering for the sake of the message. Um, but he continues on, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, uh, who became my very son while in change. If you weren't with us last week, the, the backstory on this is 
Paul is in prison in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. He's not sure if he's going to be beheaded or if he's going to be released. He's not sure which way it's going to go. While he's there, the church in Rome is reaching out to him and ministering to him and caring for him while he's in prison. And one of the guys uh, who is there caring for him on, on behalf of the church in Rome is a guy named Onesimus. They get to talking. Turns out Onesimus used to live over in Colossae. Onesimus used to be a slave of a guy named Philemon who Paul also knows. Paul led Philemon to Christ. Paul also had a hand in either mentoring, leading Onesimus to Christ, or at least mentoring him and and discipling him along the way while Onesimus was making these visits to him in prison. And when he realizes who Onesimus is, and he's that guy that ran away and stole from Philemon, he goes, you need to go back and make this right. And he's like, oh, no, I don't. I'm happily right here. Let's just stay right here. Let's just not, not even mess with that. He could put me in jail. He could have me executed. I don't want to go back there and face all that. He says, no, you need to go make this right. And so Paul is trying to build a bridge between these two. And he's like, I've got a good relationship with Philemon. I've got a great relationship with you, Onesimus. There's no reason why two people who are friends of mine can't get along. And that's really the essence of being a bridge builder is where you step in and you have two people who you both know and you need to build a bridge between them. And so... Um, He says, uh, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him here with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change. In other words, if you were here, Onesimus, I know you'd be helping me. And it's like he was your slave and he was there serving you. It's almost like as if he's still serving you on your behalf all the way over here in Rome. Isn't that great? He goes on, he says, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that he might have, you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And he is very dear to me and even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a dear brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. By the way, most of the letters that we have in the New Testament, Paul is dictating them. So there's somebody else who's actually writing them out, and he's, he, it seems like he probably had very poor eyesight. Likely they believe that he you know, is writing this in very big letters kind of thing. So normally he's just dictating the letters, and he actually pulls the pen over, and he's like, I'm writing this in my own hands. Almost like he's like, I'm signing my name to it is what he's basically saying here. Um, I write, uh, write with my own hand. I will pay it back. He's like signing my name on that check. This is a blank check. He says, not to mention, by the way, you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have had some benefit uh, from you and the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. And so he continues on. So I want to break some of this down. Uh, If you're going to be the kind of person who builds a bridge, you have to have the perspective that you believe people can change. You have to believe people can can change. Now, once again, we've got a lot of sayings in our own uh, vernacular which tell us the opposite. Old habits die hard. Tigers don't lose their stripes. Or maybe you're a leopard, don't lose their spots person. I don't know which one you are. Um, We have these sayings that basically say people are the way they are. Once a liar, Always a liar. Yeah, see, we, we believe these things. We tell ourselves these things over and over and over again. One say, and you can fill in whatever it is that they did, they're always going to do that very kind of thing. Now, the reality is, is change is hard. I mean, that is true. There's no denying change is hard. Uh, as I've often said, you can't pray your way out of something you behave your way into. 
It's not like as if there's just some spiritual pixie dust and somebody comes in here, they go to church one time and all of a sudden they're saved and they're better and everything is wonderful. It doesn't typically happen that way. They're not a whole lot of just, you know, flash of light shines on them and they all of a sudden have seen the error of their ways and they completely go in a different path and they never look back ever again. That's rare. It does happen on some occasion. Uh, it's rare that somebody is literally scared straight. I, I know somebody who was a drug addict. They got arrested. They spent three months in jail and they never went back to it ever again. They said that I looked around, I was in the drug ward, I looked around in prison, and I said, I don't want this to be me, and they never went back to it. That happens. But there's others who are struggling and battling this year after year after year. It just, it, it's different. Um, there's a reason why there's 12 steps to recovery and celebrate recovery. It's not like as if you come in and go, uh, my wife told me I need to be here because I needed to change. What do I need to do? Because when I get home tonight, she's expecting something. She needs to have some different expectations. There's, the step study takes a while uh, to, to go through each of the, you can't rush it. Change is a process, but it does happen. Now, what's interesting, if I ask you the question, do you think you can change the worst parts of you? Do you? Do you think, like, like what is the worst part about you? Is that something you can change? Sinful habit, behavior, thought. Is that something that if you, if you wanted to, you could change it? Uh, what? Well, not without recovery, but the point is, the reason why you, why, why you might go to celebrate recovery is you do believe you can change, right? The reason why people come to church is because they do believe they can change. Um, is it fair that your worst decision would ever define you? Is it fair that somebody would stereotype you forever from this point on for the worst decision you've ever made in your life? Like, in other words, is it okay that that defines you? Oh, you remember him. He's the one who blank, and that's pretty much all that's ever, is it fair if somebody says that about you? Is it? Everybody knows I ask trick questions, but some of them are just basic questions. These are basic questions. No trick here. Um, are you the same person you were 20 years ago? No, no, I'm very different. Isn't it frustrating when somebody who knew you way back when sees you now, and it's like, that was four me's ago. That was one marriage ago, six jobs ago, three kids ago, four tragedies ago. That was a long time ago. I'm not that person anymore, right? Um, has your relationship with God changed you? Yeah. Okay. The thing is, even people who don't go to church pretty much universally. Almost everybody believes, I can change. We struggle believing that they can change. You know who they is. That they are, is the person who we don't want to think about, but you're fo being forced to think about right now, the person who you're upset at, the person who's hurt you. I know I can change, and I don't want the worst thing I've ever done to define me, but I don't know about them. Because, well, they're different. You know, once a liar, always a liar. Tigers don't change their stripes. You know, old habits die hard. That's just the way they are. You don't know how they are. See, we, it's the same old thing. I want grace for me, but I want justice for them. I want you to believe the best in me, but I am going to think the worst of them until they prove me wrong. And that's pretty much the, the way we go about it. But the thing is, yes, people will let you down. 
Yes, the change process is a slow process, and along the way, they're going to fail again and again and again and again, and along the way to making improvements. You weren't a straight-line recovery. You weren't a straight-line change. You kind of went all over the map to get you to where you are right now. It took you a while to work out some of those old habits, but here's the thing. I believe with all my heart that people can change. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I mean, really. What would be the point of even showing up every week if I didn't believe we could change? If I didn't believe that in some way, somehow, what you're reading out of God's word that I'm trying to explain to you this morning, week after week after week, if I didn't believe that had the power to change your life, I would go do something else. And I mean that. I honestly would. Otherwise, this is just a, a waste of our time. Uh, I believe in Celebrate Recovery. I believe in that ministry. Mike didn't have to convince me of that. When Pastor Mike came to me, he goes, hey, I really want to think, I don't know what you think, uh, Celebrate, yes. I was a yes. I was a yes from the second he mentioned it. Why? Because I believe in the power of change. I believe that the gospel can change a life. I firmly believe that. If you don't believe that, as soon as you hear, hey, you guys need to talk. He's not the same person. He's, oh, yes, he is. You don't know him like I know him. But is it also fair to maybe say, you don't know him like I know him? See, a bridge builder is going to help somebody see somebody from a different perspective, to help somebody believe that somebody can change. Uh, the gospel is all about this. If you read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who have sex with men, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Thank goodness the verse doesn't end there. And that's what some of you were. But, there's a lot of really good buts in the Bible. <laughs> this is one of them. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Okay, just get an amen for that. Amen. amen. Uh, the guy who's writing this is Paul. When he's sharing his testimony with Timothy, he writes another personal letter to Timothy, and he says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. That's what I once was. He says, but I was shown mercy. Why? So that the grace of God would be shown that even the worst of sinners, me, could get saved. In other words, the testimony of those who are in Christ is, there is somebody that I once was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was that, and yes, that is who I was. But by the grace of God, I'm not that anymore, or I'm not as much of that anymore or I'm really trying to work on not being that anymore. That is the message of the gospel, and that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to help two people build a bridge between one another, you've got to help them see this person in a different light, not for who they are, but for who Christ is making them or has been making them all this time. Um, one little side note with that. Keep in mind, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is simply, you don't owe me for what you've done. A part of the reconciliation process may have some boundaries or some safety checks or some verifications uh, to make sure that their old sin pa patterns don't creep back in through temptation and hurt you once again. Does that make sense? In other words, this doesn't mean, well, he's been beating me up and beating me up. I, you're saying I should just go back to him and forgive him. That's not what I'm saying. It's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to forgive 
But maybe if you're going to reconcile, you need to put some boundaries in place and some safety stops in place to make sure that the change really has happened, that you don't put yourself or others back in a vulnerable situation if they have a relapse on this. That's a different thing. So let's move on. Um, so what are we going to do? We're going to operate out of love, not law. Life is short. This, may not, this isn't really too much to ask. Believe people can change. Next thing he goes to, he says, if you're going to be a bridge builder, you've got to also always be the kind of person who's looking to see what is God's purpose in this. Uh, you don't just see things as they are. You realize there's a spiritual reality behind everything that happens. And so he says, perhaps the very reason he was separated you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. In other words, there's a spiritual dimension to this. I know from your perspective, he left, and the reason why he left was because he's a horrible person, and a guy like that doesn't deserve to live in a society like ours, and he should be, you know, we should throw the book at him. He says, but you know, is it possible that God had a spiritual purpose in all of this? And this is where it gets really confusing. You're like, you mean to tell me that somebody's sinful decision could be part of God's purpose or plan? Sort of. God's going to do his thing regardless of what we do a lot of times. He's either going to do it with our help or in spite of us. It's a lot more fun to do it with him than in spite of him. Like God wants Paul to go to Rome. Paul doesn't want to go to Rome. He wants to go to Jerusalem. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and gets arrested, and he ends up getting sent to Rome on a prison ship. He got him there, not on a cruise ship, on a prison ship. You get to choose how you get to your destination, so to speak. Onesimus has had a hard life, no doubt. He could have gotten to this place in a much better way. Had he just stayed with Philemon, there's a very good chance he could have gotten saved when Paul showed up there and helped Philemon. That all could have happened probably a whole different way, but it didn't. It happened this way. And so he's saying, listen, Philemon, you have two, you have two choices. You can either focus on the sin they committed, or you can focus on what God's done to redeem them in the midst of the sin they've committed. Same was true of the story of Joseph. You go back to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Uh, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament is he's betrayed by his brothers. Uh, his brothers beat him up, throw him in a well, uh, tell some slave traders headed to Egypt that he's just a peasant slave boy, and he gets carried off to Egypt. Eventually, through an amazing set of circumstances over a 14-year period of a lot of difficulty, he ends up becoming the prime minister in Egypt. And there's a famine in the land, and he's in charge of the food distribution. And sure enough, his brothers hear that there's food down in Egypt, not knowing anything about whatever happened to their brother. They assume he's as good as dead. They go down there begging for food. And who is it they have to come before to beg for food? Joseph. And eventually Joseph reveals it's him. And they come before him, and they're terrified. Because if there's ever a perfect opportunity to get revenge, this is it. And Joseph looks down at him. What are you going to do? I can either focus on the betrayal that you, you guys did to me when you threw me in the pit and sold me to slavery, or I can focus on what God has done in my life since that time and how he's used your betrayal for a great purpose. Which one am I going to focus on? And so he looks at him and he says, Genesis 50, 20, what you intended to do was to harm me, but God intended it to accomplish the good which is now being done, the saving of many lives. Other verses say, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And so he's focusing on what good came out of it. Somebody recently asked me, they said, if you had to do life over again, would you do it over again the same way? My answer was this. I love where I'm at right now. I love my kids. I love my, not, my life. I don't like at all what it took to get here. I would love to change that. 
And if I could change that and get the same outcome, sign me up today. However, I don't want to lose what I have right now that I love so much. So if I had to do it over again, I would. My prayer for you is that at some point, you'll be brought to that same place. If you ask Job at the end of his life, do you like where you're at right now? I think that's what he would say, yes. I'm in a good place with God. Did you like how he got there? No. But I like what God's done in my life, and I like where he's brought me. Joseph got to that point, and that's a place of healing. And he's looking at Philemon and saying, you know, you may not like how we got to this place, but look where we're at right now. You've got a relationship with God. Onesimus has a relationship with God. 20 years ago, neither of y'all did. Look where you're at right now. You know, God's used the circumstances of your life, the good choices and the bad choices, and he's brought you guys both to a good place. Can we reconcile on that? Can we focus on what God has done and not on what, the sin, not on what we've done sinfully in the midst of it? Can we focus on what God has done through this and the relationship that you guys can have now? It's kind of like there's a lot of marriages, and you look over your, course, your, your track record, and you got a great marriage now. But the reason why you have a great marriage now is because you went through a lot of really bad stuff along the way. And you say, I would love to have this marriage when we first got married. But we weren't the kind of people who could have that marriage. I'm really glad where we're at now. I wish we'd gotten here a different way. What do we focus on? How we got here or where we're at? And so he says, let's focus on where we're at right now. Just think about it. Maybe this was God's purpose all along. You know? What, what God has done along the way. Um... So look for God's purpose. Uh, next thing, we need to see everybody as we really are and not by the labels that we have on earth, not by the labels that we've been given. Um, he says that you would have him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. There's 25 verses in the book of Philemon. The word brother shows up five times, and he refers to Onesimus as a son twice. I think he's pushing the family motif. Right? When 20% of the verses have the word brother or son or something else of the like in there. Uh, what I mean by that is, is when we, I mentioned this a little bit in the first service. I didn't mention this at all in the later services. So if y'all were here last week, I started talking about brother, but then I stopped myself because I was out of time. When I think about the word brother, it just sounds so hokey. Um, it makes me think of like maybe Catholicism uh, with Sister Mary Catherine Gallagher, or for some of you, it's... For some of you, it's uh, called the midwife or something, I think also has a bunch of sisters in it and all. Or maybe it's some country preacher. Well, hello there, Brother Jed. I'm so glad to see you. It's <laughs> nice to have you in the fellowship here today. Is who, who is this beautiful, lovely young daughter of the Lord? <laughs> um, and let's face it. Whenever TV shows or movies really want to make fun of Christianity, won't they usually use characters like that who are using these terms, brother, sister, because they, it's kind of easy to poke at and make fun of? But there's a powerful reality behind that. We all use titles, and our titles help us overcome the fall. They help us overcome our shortcomings. In other words, I know I'm a sinful person. Because I'm a sinful person, I got some things I need to cover. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sin, they go and they cover up and they hide. One of the ways we hide who we are is we cover ourselves up with titles. Also, what we do with titles is we make ourselves feel better than other people, right? Like, oh, I'm from here. You're not from here. I'm a local. Uh, 
what are you saying? You're saying, I'm better than you because of where I'm from. And so we do these things with our, our titles. Um, the thing is, though, they're temporary. Your titles don't last into eternity, right? They're, they're temporary. They're just, they're here. They're not reality. Uh, and so when you think about some of these things where, you know, things like, you know, labor and management, officer enlisted, you know, at some point, those things are all going to be a thing of the past. You've got educated, uneducated, white collar, blue collar. These are all things that people do typically to sort of put themselves in different categories, maybe to make somebody feel better or above somebody else. Oh, you know, he might be an officer, but, you know, come on, he's only been in the Navy for like two years, man. I've been here for, you know, for 25 years. I know where I'm going. It's all about sort of putting ourselves in these different places. And Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says this. He says, in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, before God, all of us are sinners. You know, whatever title you have, you're a sinful officer. You're a sinful enlisted. You're a sinful manager. You're a sinful blue-collar worker. You're all sinners before God. All your titles get stripped away. However, in Christ, we all came here the same way, through faith. We're all saved through faith, not because of what we've done, not because we've earned it, not because we've been good enough, not because we're smart enough. We all came into a relationship with God through faith. We're all baptized. We're all been cleansed. We've all been washed through faith. And so we are all now children of God through Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's who we are. We're all that. And, and the picture here is at some point, you've got to be good to the point where you move away from the titles when you look at other people. Now, I know politically you're a citizen and they're an illegal alien, but they're still a human being, right? It's, you have to move away from these. One thing that I love about this church is in this church right now, we have somebody, we have two guys who worked at the same company. One was a union labor official. The other one was in upper management. If you know anything about that kind of work environment, those two guys didn't get along their entire life. What's interesting in this church is the guy who was in labor uh, in the union is one of our elders, and the other guy is a church member. And so spiritually, the whole thing's been reversed. That can only happen in Christ where you could walk into these doors and you could check that at the door. We have enlisted members who are serving as team leaders with officers serving on their team. Why? Because I don't know what any of y'all do in the Navy, and I don't care. <laughs> and here's the thing. Nobody will care after you retire. They won't. You don't get any special parking over at Walmart like you do over on base. We don't care. <laughs> it just says reserved for veterans. And it doesn't matter what you did or what your rank was, all y'all get to park there. We don't care. We just don't care. You know, on Memorial Day, we thank everybody who, you know, is, is part of a family member who gave their life for our service. We don't care what your rank was. On Veterans Day, I don't care what your rank was. Thank you for your service. I don't care. You know who else don't care? God don't care. You're a sinner in need of grace. When you walk in these doors, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all here by grace. And so he's looking at Onesimus and Philemon. He's saying, listen, I know you have this sense that you're the master and he's your slave. My hope is that you wouldn't see him as your slave anymore. You'd see him for who he is. He's your brother in Christ. A couple years ago, or maybe it was last year, I mentioned, you know, at this church, all these different distinctions we have, 
these distinctions do nothing but divide people, make you feel better about yourself over somebody else. And there's this us versus them mentality. And I shared this reality, and this is, these are actual people. I said, in this church, there are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, rich people, poor people, alcoholics, drug addicts, white-collar, blue-collar, people who said lightning would strike the roof if they fall in, and it's happened at least twice, people with tattoos, which I'm now a part of that group now, uh, piercings, plastic surgery, wigs, toupees, shoe wedges to make them look taller. These are all actual things. Um, people with medical conditions, special needs, social anxieties, people with PTSD, anxiety, depression, and bipolar, people with food addictions and eating disorders, people who believe in flat earth, actually happened, I had that conversation right over there a couple years ago. Uh, you would just think, you know, we would all know if we were moving. Um, actual quote, um, people who believe in evolution, karma, horoscopes, and Bigfoot. Uh, we have policemen and people who don't trust the police and people who are ex-cons. We have people who have been uh, in the prison as guards and people who have been in the prison as inmates. We have uh, people contemplating suicide and people who've lost people to suicide. We've got porn addicts and sex workers. Uh, we've got transgender people and people who are in same-sex relationships, people who, are, people who are hooking up, shacking up, shooting up, messing up. People who've had abortions, divorces, affairs, people who have, are from other countries and other cultures, people who grew up in the Mormon church, Catholic church, charismatic church, fundamental church, no church at all. That's who we are as a church. There is no us versus them. We are all us. We are all them. There are no those people because them and those are all here. They're all our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're going to build bridges, you've got to get rid of all of these different titles and distinctions that separate people. Moving on. And this is the last thing. Um, be willing to spend your relational capital on others. He says, if you consider me a partner... Treat him as you would treat me. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention, by the way, you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you and the Lord to refresh my heart. And then he goes on at the end of the letter. He says, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I really hope to be restored uh, to you and answer to your prayers. This is the essence of bridge building. This is the reason why this is so core to who God is and what he wants for us is because this is what Jesus has done on our behalf. I, I could change the names here, and this is exactly our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where Jesus goes to God and he says, if he, meaning you, has done anything. Picture Jesus talking to the God. Sorry, Jesus talking to the God. Uh, let's picture Jesus talking to the Father and saying to the Father on your behalf, if they've done anything, charge it to me. If they owe you anything, charge it to me. I will pay for it. And he did. He paid for it on the cross. And Paul is saying, in the same way that Jesus has done this for us, I'm doing this for Onesimus. In the same way that Jesus looked before the Heavenly Father and said, if you've done anything wrong, I'll pay his debt. I'm looking at you and doing the same thing for Onesimus. You know, when I was with you, I mean, remember when you said, hey man, if there's ever anything I can do for you, this is what you can do for me. If you feel any sort of indebtedness from the fact that if, we had not, if you and I had not met, you'd spend an eternity apart from God in hell. What's that worth to you? Is it worth anything at all? He says, I, I hope it's been of some benefit to you in the Lord. Has that, has that been of any benefit? Do you all take any peace out of that? If so, then can you do this for me? Why? Why should I call them? Because I'm asking you to. I don't want to call them. Give me one good reason. Because I'm your mother and I've asked. I've heard that one before. Um, <laughs> because. And Paul's like, listen, I hope to come over there sometime. How awkward is it going to be, right? 
if I show up in your guest room and you got Onesimus down in the basement in chains in your dungeon, how awkward is that whole thing going to be? I mean, picture what this is going to be like when we all, you ever said to somebody, listen, I just wish we could all hang out again as friends. You know, we used to all hang out. But now ever since that happened and this happened and you two guys don't get along, now we all can't hang out anymore. I really hope that we can hang out again. And the reason why I saved this one for the end, even though it happens in the middle, is is bridge building enough of a value that you're willing to spend your relational capital on it? I've got a good thing with them. I've got a good thing with them. I've helped them out a lot. I've done a lot of things for them, and I've helped them out and done a lot of things for them. And it's sort of in a sense, if I ever called either one of them and said, hey, could you help me move? I got a piano on the third floor. I need to get down to the first floor. I'm moving to an apartment. I got to get the piano up to the fourth floor. You have a few friends you could probably call in that favor on. Would you be willing to call that favor in simply to help them reconcile with one another? How important is bridge building? Is it, is it important enough that you'd be willing to use your relational capital? Are you willing to call in your favors to help build, uh, heal a relationship? That's really what the question comes down to. Are you willing to call in your relational favors to heal a relationship? And I know it can get risky, and they can get mad at you, and they can not want to talk to you anymore. And you could use up all your relational capital with that person, burn straight through it, and that bridge never gets built. But it's worth it. God says, I've done this for you. I'm simply asking you to do this for other people too. Would you please close our time in prayer? Father, in a world of short-term relationships and cancel culture and burning bridges, we're called to be bridge builders. We have to change the way we see people. We have to change the way we see relationships. We have to change the way we see our relationships with our friends and realize we are all called to be ministers of reconciliation, to build bridges between people. It's the very thing that you've done for each one of us. And you've called us to do this for others. So Father, give us the boldness and the compassion and the heart to help build bridges between people, Father, who otherwise wouldn't have a relationship. And if there's anybody in this room who needs to have a relationship with you that doesn't, Lord, I just ask that right now they might realize that you truly have gone to the Father on their behalf and you've paid for all of their sins by dying on the cross for them. And may they know that they're invited this morning to come and partake in that and to receive that. In Jesus' name we pray.